Good morning and welcome to Kimberly Clark's fourth quarter 2023 earnings question and answer session. I'll now hand the call over to Chris Jakubik for Vice President Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you and hello everyone. This is Chris Jakubik, Head of Investor Relations at Kimberly Clark, and welcome to our Q&A session for our fourth quarter and full year 2023 uh, results. Uh, during our remarks today, we will make some forward-looking statements that are based on how we see things today. Actual results may differ due to risks and uncertainties, and these are discussed in our earnings release and our filings with the SEC. We will also discuss some non-GAAP financial measures today. These non-GAAP financial measures should not be considered a replacement for and should be read together with GAAP results. And you can find the GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliations within our earnings release and the supplemental materials posted at investor.kimberlyclark.com. Before we begin, uh, I'm going to hand it over to our chairman and CEO, Mike Shu, for a few quick opening comments. Okay, thank you, Chris. And first of all, I'd like to just welcome Chris to uh, Kimberly Clark. This is his first earnings call with us, but his probably triple-digit number in earnings calls that he's done in his career. So welcome, welcome to KC, Chris. Hey, I'd like to just start by sharing that we're really proud of our performance in 2023, but of course, we're not yet satisfied. We've built a strong foundation and positioned Kimberly-Clark for our next chapter of growth. These past few years, we've consistently invested to build a consumer-centric organization while navigating unprecedented challenges. Our strategy to elevate our categories and expand our markets is working, and we're on an exciting path and position to deliver durable growth and returns for shareholders in our next chapter. And as, I, as we mentioned in our prepared remarks, we're looking forward to detailing our strategic priorities our long-term algorithm, and outline the key initiatives behind our plans in March. And so with that, I'd love to open it up for questions. Certainly. Everyone at this time will be conducting a question and answer session. If you have any questions or comments, please press star 1 on your phone at this time. We do ask that while posing your question, please pick up your handset if you're listening on speakerphone to provide optimum sound quality. We do ask that participants please ask one question and one follow-up. If you have any additional questions, please re-enter the queue. Once again, if you have any questions or comments, please press star 1 on your phone. Your first question is coming from Dara Mosinian from Morgan Stanley. Your line is live. Hey, guys. I just wanted to uh, touch on the organic sales growth guidance for next year. Low to mid-single digits seems pretty robust relative to the 3% this quarter and just starting out the year lower in Q1. Obviously, you mentioned the 200 basis points from the hyperinflationary markets uh, next year in the prepared remarks, so that's part of it. Maybe, A, give us a sense of how much those markets contributed in Q4, and then just as you look at the base business X, those markets, maybe some commentary on pricing versus volume and what you're expecting. And if you could also just touch on market share performance in Q4, the U.S. track channels are weaker, so just any update on how you're feeling about your market share performance and, and plans on that front as you look out to 24 would be yeah. helpful. Thanks. Okay. Hey, th- thanks, Dara. Uh, you, maybe I'll start with uh, maybe the, as you as you kind of tee up there the state of the consumer, uh, particularly in developed markets. You know, I'd say our underlying category growth across personal care, consumer tissue, and professional remains pretty robust, both in absolute terms and and I think if you look across in relative to other broader staples, our products. I'll remind you, our daily essentials, and unlike some categories, substitution of our categories is fairly low. Uh, on top of that, you know, we still have a lot of room for penetration and, 
and revenue per user gains. And so we're working on that. So, so overall, I, I think the, the, the consumer right now still remains, despite you know, what's, what you might argue is a fairly mixed kind of consumer picture, uh, the consumer remains pretty healthy. You know, we're confident in our ability to elevate our categories and expand the markets further. Um, you know, the consumer uh, picture I said is somewhat mixed. You know, employment remains strong. Uh, wage growth is, is up. You know, but I think it's also probably fair to say from our side that, you know, the full effects of all the rate hikes and all the economic policy impacts are not fully materialized in the consumer. So that all said, the categories were pretty robust. In North America, just to to give you a reference point, uh, North America category value was up six in the fourth quarter and up eight for the year. So that's a pretty solid number. Again, I'll, I'll chalk that up to the fact that, you know, there's low substitution in our categories and that makes our categories a lot more resilient than other staples categories that I've worked in in the past. Uh, we still also see pretty good uh, demand for um, premium products, and we're seeing that in a broad array of markets, including in North America. You know, surprisingly, you might say in a market like Argentina, still Brazil, China, of course. And, and so, so we're, we're very enthused about our, our approach with uh, elevate you know, elevating our categories and expanding our markets, and we believe that's still working and still appropriate, even though we recognize we've got to be able to offer great value at all price tiers. So I'll pause there. I know that I threw a lot at you, so I know there were multiple parts to your question. I don't know, Dara, if you wanted to go. Nelson, did you want to? Yeah, there was a a question on uh, the decomposition of, you know, our top-line growth for the year and how it relates to Q4. Let me address that a little bit, Dara. I think the, the recap, uh, the fourth quarter was a, a quarter in which we attained you know, flat volumes and pricing was only 2% of the contribution with mix being one. That 2% was largely hyperinflationary economies. And as you think about this year, this is going to be a year in which we see volumes beginning to pick up from Q2 on. And we expect pricing to be in that 200 basis point range, right in line with what we saw in the last quarter of the year. And that pricing is really going to be driven, based on what we expect today, by hyperinflationary economies. So the profile is really on the pricing side very similar to what we saw in, uh, in Q4. Okay, and the volume pickup as we go through the year, is that more pricing moderates? Is it that you've seen some early signs and whatever the geographies or product categories are that it, that you're seeing some volume recovery or is it more just sort of a natural assumption over time as pricing recovers? Well, we're, we're pretty pleased, Dara. I think, we, I think we've made very, very solid progress on volume and, and, and consumers responded very favorably on our categories. You know, so I'd say, you know, first of all, our next chapter, which I think we're turning the page and you know, shifting to a, a volume mix driven plan, uh, you know, which is, you know, returning to that, which that was kind of our approach pre-pandemic. And so we're going back to that. So contribution pricing to help offset the, the record inflation that we've got is going to recede and has already started receding. You know, I, there, there might be a need to address some particular higher costs in some markets or locations, uh, but that's going to be pretty surgical. Uh, you know, and, and uh, it's, you know, will likely reflect if there's pricing reflect inflation at local levels. But, but overall, I think we're feeling very good about, you know, driving the volume on our business. We, we have seen our businesses start, start to improve, including in North America on a share perspective, in the fourth quarter and believe we have the right mix and, and, and growth drivers in our plan to, to drive the business going forward. 
Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you, Dar. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Lauren Lieberman from Barclays. Your line is live. Great. Thanks. Good morning. Hi. I, I wanted to just shift focus maybe a little bit um, to talk a bit about the, the cost picture and, and forced savings. Um, both of those that benefit from deflation and forced savings in the fourth quarter were a bit lighter, I think, than, than expected or certainly that we'd modeled. So um, it's rare to see that. So if you could just maybe provide some perspective on, on why and the, the outlook moving forward and maybe how FX plays into that, if at all. Sure. So um, let me start, uh, Lauren, by saying that, you know, this phase of cost recovery and supply chain stabilization, uh, we would think of it as largely behind us. A lot of the disruptions and this super cycle that we saw, uh, our expectation is for that to not happen um, in the foreseeable future and certainly in 2024 based on what we know today. So thinking about cost as a whole, First, our aggregate cost basket uh, is easing in inflation, but there's no deflation uh, because there's several components that I'd like to, to unpack. Uh, we expect the 24 uh, cost environment to be more stable, uh, but we will still remain at higher levels of, of costs, mostly in line with what we've seen in, in this super cycle uh, th- these past three years. As you know, core commodities like pulp, resin, energy, in dollar terms are expected to be somewhat favorable um, following the trends that we saw in the back half of last year. Um, However, if you think of other components of our cost basket like distribution, logistics, and labor inflation, that's actually going to remain a headwind uh, in this year in 24. And that's pretty much offsetting the, the tailwinds that we're seeing on the core commodities, which leaves us with currency-related inflation on imported materials largely impacting our emerging market, hyperinflationary markets, which will need to be addressed. And we've been addressing that over the past years, and we intend to do that in the course of the year. Uh, Just as a perspective, the overall uh, net cost headwind, when you include all of the components, is projected to be around 100 basis points uh, for the year which we see as much more manageable uh, than what we've seen in the past. We've got very strong productivity plans and you know, little need to price outside of local inflation in these hyperinflationary markets. Turning to force uh, and our productivity targets, the outlook we've provided um, you know, provi- shows that we feel very good about our ability to continue generating strong productivity. Uh, you saw that we ended last year with force results of around $325 million. And it's important to highlight that over the last 20 years, force has delivered a little north of $6 billion of cumulative identified productivity that has flown to the VNL. More, more recently, and, and we've been talking about it um, even at you know, your conference in September, we, we're evolving our culture towards an end-to-end integrated cost management perspective, really focused on gross productivity. We're building a proactive multi-year pipeline of initiatives. We see our pipeline of gross productivity out to 36 months pretty strong, and that should flow to the bottom line, and this is reflected in the outlook we're providing today. I'm excited to talk more about you know, our transition to gross productivity and integrated margin management at our March meeting uh, when, we, when we talk about the future a little more. Okay, great. And then if I could just also follow up a bit on Argentina. So I guess a couple parts of this question, 
path forward for Argentina, whether the devaluation of the monetary assets is one time in nature or do we need to build this in um, or how do we think about that in the next kind of quarter or two of the year? And then also overall just kind of risk, risk management around FX because this time last year there was also kind of a bit, it wasn't hyperinflation, but a bit of a surprise to the street in terms of the expected impact from transactional FX. So, um, and that's the case again this year. So path forward in Argentina, the devaluation on monetary assets piece, and then all this overall risk management on, on currency and transaction. Okay. Hey, Lauren, thanks for the question. Um, hey, let me, let me start with the, with the overall on the path forward. I, I will say, hey, we're staying the course, but we're, of course, going to balance uh, potential against the inherent volatility in the business. And so we're going to remain prudent. You know, I, I do want to say I'm really inspired, and we've got people operating in some difficult conditions in Argentina and also other markets so, you know, as a company, we're really inspired by the impact our, our employees make in these markets and, and, and really proud to shoulder that responsibility of serving our consumers in these difficult conditions. Um, at the same time, I will say we will not just hang around um, where conditions become untenable. And then, of course, you're, you would double-click and say, what's untenable? I'll, I'll let you know when we see it. But, you know, certainly, you know, if we can't make product or if we can't convert currency, you know, at some point, that becomes somewhat untenable. But, but you know, right now we're working our way through it uh, in multiple markets like Argentina, like Ukraine. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, again, that's, uh, that's the, uh, the, the high-level answer on Path Forward is we're staying the course. Yeah, and, and, and Lauren, to, to build on, you know, what I, I, I told Aaron on the pricing and uh, hyperinflationary, so a few things. As we think of last year, the, the full-year impact of the mark-to-market of our net monetary position in other income and expense lines. On the f- yep. Sorry, keep going. Okay. So the impact above the operating profit line uh, was $115 million for the year and about $70 million for the quarter. Um, that netted off some of the interest income that we perceive on cash balances in Argentina led to a net impact of about $0.16 cents on EPS in the year and about $0.09 cents of EPS in the quarter. As we fast forward to this year, we are projecting about half of that impact, both in the other income and expense line and in, on EPS. Um, we will see a little bit of more of that impact in the first half of the year. It's reflected in, in part of our outlook, but that's what's projected at this stage based on what we know. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Jason English from Goldman Sachs. Your line is live. Hey, good morning, folks. Thanks for slotting me in. Hey, Jake. Um, hey, Mike. A couple questions. I, I want to bring it back to volume, um, and specifically, I want to double-click on your professional segment um, where volume was, was a little bit weaker than we expected this quarter. If I zoom out and just look since 2019, so pre-COVID, volume's down like 23 24%. Um, and, and, and I know you mentioned right-sizing and prepare remarks today. So my question is, what, what's going on there? Where has all the volume gone? Um, and how uh, your, your margins suggest you're not getting meaningful deleverage. How have you been able to offset the associated deleverage effects of, of that lost volume? As always, Jason, you're right on the issue, so, but good one. But I think if you look at the margin profile of the business, I think the team has done a great job addressing, I would say, the volume softness or volume change in the environment. And uh, you know, a couple different things. One, we had to adjust 
rapidly to this work from home demand environment that kind of came on in, with the with the advent of COVID, as you might recall. And uh, you may recall our washroom business, which is the majority of our business in KC Professional, uh, tends to be higher higher development in offices, and so. Uh, that's really where the volume has gone. I would say right now, you know, that 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 volume uh, on a category basis is running about 80 to 85 percent of what it was pre-pandemic, and and it's not going to bounce back that quickly. The, real, the reality is, and and I, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure you're in your office at Goldman in New York every day, and so so that's the same thing as we look around our offices. You know, we're not fully back in, right? And so it's partial at best. So that's a, that's a, I would say an ongoing challenge in that business. But uh, you know, I think our team has adjusted to that and, and treated it as a reality. We have right-sized some of the business, and some of it was from a cost perspective. Uh, the, the reality is, we we were doing a lot of volume uh, and co-packing a lot of volume on the external market, and so I'd say we haven't had to address fixed costs as much as you might had might have thought of. And, and so, and I think that's reflected. So I think the team has done a good job of uh, recapturing margins from a, uh, both from a price perspective, mix perspective, and, and also while growing volumes at the same time behind great innovations like our Icon Dispenser, which I, I believe is really the best dispenser in, in, that, in that side of the business. So anyways, so I think the team's done a great job, and I think you can see that in the margin and, 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 and uh, you know, definitely have recovered from pre-19 margins on that business and, and actually exceeding at this point. That's helpful. I appreciate that. Um, and uh, I think another headwind to volume this year that you were talking about earlier in the year, but not talking about so much of late, were supply constraints. Um, so can you remind us where they were, how sizable they were? I, I assume the lack of conversation around them suggests they're, they're, you've, they're alleviated now, but can you confirm that? And I would, I would imagine that cycling those supply constraints should prove to be a tailwind, particularly in the first half of next year. Is that right, and how large of a tailwind? One could only hope, Jason. We could only hope that. But actually, I, I think, uh, first of all, a couple things. Yeah, we did have some pretty significant supply constraints in our North American consumer business for the majority of last year, definitely through Q3. And that, that had to deal with some supply conditions with uh, external suppliers, on, for example, on packaging that made availability difficult across personal care. Uh, also, some in our Kleenex business, I think we've talked about you know a key ingredient that we weren't able to get access to that we developed a secondary source to during the course of the year. So those were kind of the big factors. I would say, I think we mentioned that on the last quarter call, uh, you know, we didn't make the biggest deal about it. We were working through this challenge with our suppliers, uh, with our customers, and they were fully aware of it. But, you know, it's not something that we, we communicated publicly uh, that often. But I, I would say for the, for the better part of the year, that did suppress our share performance. I'm not saying that was the only driver, but I think it was a, a fairly significant uh, driver. You know, we have addressed those issues. You know, I'd say our commercial execution is going to be stronger than ever. We're really past all these constraints that I talked about. Um, and, uh, you know, our consumption is moving in the right direction. Our share has moved in the right direction in the fourth quarter as well in North America. Got it. Good stuff. Thanks a lot. I'll pass it on and look forward to seeing you in March. Okay. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Anna Lazul from Bank of America. Your line is live. Hi, good morning, and thank you for the question. I wanted to follow up on market share in light of your exposure to private label, since in your track channels, private label share has been creeping up in some of your categories. Just wondering, how are you thinking about brand investment with marketing versus promotions in order to maintain and grow market share? Thank you. 
Okay. Yeah, great question, Anna. Core, core to our business, I'd say a couple things. You know, first of all, on market share, I'm confident, you know, that our market share performance this year is going to improve uh, from last year. You know, definitely, I, I was not happy with our performance uh, on share last year for perspective on a weighted basis, which we use as an internal metric. We don't talk about it as much publicly, but on, on a weighted basis, we were down globally about 40 bips. Okay, so, so not falling off a cliff, but, but not what we want. So we want to be growing weighted share as well. On a cohort basis, which was the, the one we usually talk to you all about, you know, we, we were up in upper even in just under 40%. And so that's below our goal of 50% or more, of which, you know, I'd say we, we were kind of jumping over that bar back in 2020, 2021. So, so I think, uh, you know, you know, we are, we are where we are today. What we're going to build from here, I, I'd say a couple things, you know, all that said, you know, probably the biggest challenge has been for us in North America related to the supply constraints that I just talked about. I, I did want to know, we've had strong gains and really, really strong market positions in most of our largest markets. Just for reference, in South Korea, um, which is our second largest business, you know, we're up probably about 20 share points over the last five years. And in Australia and New Zealand, we're up somewhere between uh, 10 and 15 share points over the last five years. Uh, Andrex in the quarter, which is our, our number, you know, fifth largest business, um, was up over 300 uh, bips on share just in the quarter. So we feel very good. And, uh, and, and one more, on China, I think we're approaching almost 300, point, uh, 300 bips again on, on the Huggies in the quarter. So I think we feel very good about our gains in our largest markets. The exception has been North America, what we have underperformed, but that is improving. A lot of that, I think, was just what I discussed with Jason. We had some severe su supply constraints uh, where we weren't able to run our brand, brand plans in the way that we wanted to run last year. Uh, we, we saw solid improvement in Q4. We were up or even in six of eight categories and sequentially improved in five of eight. And so we feel pretty good about our trajectory. As, as I said just a while ago, you know, our, our commercial execution capabilities never been better. Um, and we're going to gain share by, you know, bringing the right innovations, which our customers are excited about, executing well, and bringing sustainable cost advantage to our, to our, um, to our business. Um, you, you mentioned private label. You know, on the note, I, I would recognize that, yeah, we have seen an uptick in private label in the past quarter or two. Uh, I think if you look at the scanner data, it was, I think it was up or even in seven of eight categories. You know, I'd say on private label, we are very, very committed to having superior, uh, a, a superior value proposition at every price tier that we're in. Um, you know, so, you know, versus 2019, if you look on a longer perspective, you know, private labels down a bit, and the premium segment is up significantly. And, and even today, the premium segment continues to grow. So it's, it is clear that the value tier has picked up a bit, um, and our shares were impacted in the second and third quarter, although I would say more from our su supply constraints than private label trading. I mean, we, we compete with private label. We're cognizant of that. You know, our approach, uh, Anna, is to bring the right set of innovations, which we are accelerating and have been accelerating, and our customers are very supportive of it. Um, there are a couple categories where we have a little more value offering. You know, Scott 1000 is a great value brand, uh, and, but I think it competes very, very well in its tier and, and is really, really accepted by consumers. And so, again, we're cognizant that private labels kind of out there and that in uncertain or tough economic conditions, uh, value becomes much more important to the consumer, and we're committed to having a great value proposition at every tier. 
Great. Very helpful. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Anna. Thank you. Your next question is coming from Steve Powers from Deutsche Bank. Your line is live. Hey, thanks, guys. Good morning. Hi, Steve. Um, Hey, so maybe to start, you, you talked about a lower rate of organic growth in the first quarter and also, uh, you know, a slightly back half-weighted earnings profile for the year in the prepared remarks and some of the comments this morning, you know, echo that. I guess maybe can you provide just a little bit more color on the drivers there and maybe a little bit more specificity on how to think about um, the first, first quarter trends relative to the balance of the year? Thanks. Sure, Steve. So I'll start by by reiterating that we're very encouraged by how we finished 2023, uh, you know, a strong, a strong foundation uh, for us to build from um, and a, a position in which volumes have stabilized and, and we had a quarter in which we were flattened volume and mix was, you know, another 100 basis points of growth. Uh, as we think about the cadence of the year, um, our first half, second half balance of sales and earnings and our quarterly placing is reflecting a combination of three things. One, our go-to-market plans. Two, our productivity initiatives. And thirdly, you know, the current shape and of currency headwinds that I talked about a little, uh, a little while ago. On organic sales growth, uh, we, we see a relatively balanced across the year, but Q1 somewhat muted due to softer volumes on a sequential basis. Um, we we you know we we have more programming coming into play as as, as the year progresses uh, you know especially as Q2 kicks in uh, and this includes incremental innovation that will be going into market at that stage so we should see progressively improvement in volumes and a mixed led organic growth and margins following Q1 uh, the other bit that again as as we think about Q1 in terms of volumes um, you know we've built into the plan a gradual improvement uh, across the year. Um, and in Q1 specifically, we're expecting another relatively flat volume quarter, uh, also because of the possibility that retail inventory softness pushes us slightly even below that level. But that's reflected in our outlook uh, for the full year, and we expect, again, volumes to pick up as the year progresses. Okay. Okay. Thank you for that. And I, I guess, you know, you know kind of, I guess, stepping back a little bit, you know, there's been a lot of investment um, that you've highlighted over the course of time in personal care, um, not just the past year, but the past few years, product quality, marketing, commercialization, et cetera. And, and I think you, you see the results um, in, you know, relatively um, strong market share trends and, and, and organic growth. I guess on the other side, you know, consumer tissue and KCP continue to um, – you know, lag and, 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 you know, struggle from a volume perspective. So, you know, I guess as you think about 24 and the, the both the relative balance of investment and the, and the, and the relative balance of, of contribution to growth, can you, can you give us a little um, insight to how you're thinking about that and how we should think about um, how those businesses are, are likely to trend, um, you know, uh, relative to one another in the, in the year? Hey, yeah, I just I'll make a couple comments, and, and then Nelson maybe can give it, uh, some additional detail. But look, see, I, I would say we are running our consumer tissue business. You know, some might say externally a little differently. You know, I, I look at our consumer tissue business and see it as a as a you know premier consumer franchise, and, I, and I'm proud of the strong mar margin recovery that we've made over a short 
period of time in this business. You know, on, to note, I would say on a volume basis, if you look at North America, you know, for the quarter, our organic and tissue was up three and the volume was up two. I'm very excited about the volume kind of resiliency in that business. I think it reflects the the essential nature of the category, as you know. Uh, you know, uh, you're not moving away from, from, from the bath category no matter what the condition is. And, and so, you know, so we recognize we have an important kind of uh, responsibility for consumers. Uh, but I, th- I think the thing that, we, you know, has changed, you know, is in the past few years, you know, first of all, the, the amount of inflation that's occurred on, the, on our overall business, but especially tissue, has been not to be dramatic, but tr- fundamentally historic, right? Two years in a row of 2x what, it, what the all-time high ever was, right? And so our teams have done a phenomenal job, I would say, you know, recovering, uh, you know, recovering the margins on the business that were necessary to keep that, you know, franchise, you know, healthy going forward. A couple other things that we've done to improve our ability to manage the business better is, hey, better risk management tools, you know, to get us more stability from costs, and hopefully. You guys are seeing that. We're not talking a lot about that, but, you know, with Nelson coming in, we've, we've changed some of our practices. With Tamara, our chief supply officer, coming in, we've changed some of our supply chain practices. And so we're, we're trying to reduce the volatility of the input costs. Uh, I would say if you looked at the margin recovery, the biggest driver is really, really disciplined application of, you know, we call internally revenue growth management tools. Uh, but, you know, that if we, if we had not made those investments, over the past five years, we would not have been able to move at the pace we moved over the last two years on, on, on revenue management. And then, you know, probably the most important thing going forward is the fact that we're driving value-added innovation. And, and we recognize as a consumer franchise, you know, we have to have a great offering, a superior offering. I, I mentioned in, in, in the U.K., Andrex, I think we hit about a 33 or 34 share in the quarter. Uh, you know, our price gap has widened. And over the past three years, uh, but our quality has improved significantly, and we've invested in new technologies in, in, in our European tissue business that's allowing us to differentiate that product. And so we feel good about our, our position on tissue. There are some pockets of challenge. Some, some, some markets, you know, can be very tough, and, and, so, and we're able to operate in those. But, but, you know, we're really pleased with the kind of rapid recovery of margins and how our teams are managing that business right now. And, and just to build on, on what Mike was saying and, and address, you know, the investments, you know, over the last few years, as you would have seen, we, we've stepped it up both on advertising, support for our brands, and the capabilities um, that are allowing us to emerge much stronger uh, from this super cycle of inflation that we've seen. Specifically for 2023, uh, you know, our advertising budget overall increased uh, to more than 5% in ad sales, which, which represented roughly about 100 basis points of increase versus the prior year. And that's about $200 million in absolute terms. As you think about this year, um, Steve, we, we, we will still keep expanding that, but it'll be at about half the pace of what we saw in 2023. And the other bit is, in terms of overheads, uh, which would include some of the capabilities we invested in, we are projecting overheads for the year to be largely flat in dollar terms year over year. Uh, So that can give you a perspective of of what we're seeing in terms of investments and overall spend in 2024, building on what we did in the past few years. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I'll pass it on. Okay. If we could take uh, uh, maybe one more question, that would be great. 
Certainly. Your next question is coming from Andrea Teixeira from J.P. Morgan. Your line is live. Thank you. Good morning. Um, and welcome, Chris. So can you um, – I have one question and a clarification on your comments, Nelson, um, towards the end of the last question. Uh, first, can you break down a bit the 2024 guide by division? Uh, I'm assuming you're still looking at, like, between to get to your number, mid-single digits for personal care, some growth in volume there because that's where you get most of the growth. Uh, and then tissue to be flattish, consumer consumer tissue to be flattish, um, or to grow low single, and then professionals to be negative, uh, especially in the first quarter as you lap those uh, those contracts. Uh, the reason why I ask is that historically, for for a good reason, it's a better ROI, but you're you're more dependent on personal care than the others. So, and you've been to your point and to your benefit getting market share, in particular in the U.S. and China in diapers and care. So I was wondering how you feel about the comps and how you feel about uh, being able to meet this number um, in between low single and mid single. I mean, at least at the high end of the guide, it does imply that you have a strong volume growth in, in personal care. So I was wondering how you feel and how you, you could decompose by division. And then a clarification on the reinvestment you said, uh, Nelson, you mentioned 200, was, $200 million was the actual number, roughly of uh, investment, and then this year would be about half of it. And uh, I was wondering, what is the incrementality? It's more displays and, and shelf space, promo. What is going to be the main source? Because to be fair, you've been, to your point, investing for a while now since Mike took over five years ago. Thank you. Yeah, hey, Andre, great, great set of questions. Maybe I'll start with the, the bottom half first, and then and then Muslim can kind of decomp some of the organic drivers. On, on the investment, I, I, again, my priority would be focused on advertising. You know, I, I think we get great returns on advertising, both from, uh, you know, certainly from uh, traditional TV and stuff, but mo- more importantly, the, the, the digital. And the returns are very, very high. And so our focus is there. I mean, we are going to be, I, I would say, competitive on the promotion front, on a, on a trade promotion front. But that said, that's not how we're going to drive our business um, you know, I, I, we do feel like we get great value, and we have great creative both on, on things like Huggies, on You Buy Kotex, uh, across our business on Scott 1000, uh, last long, you know. And uh, so we, we, got, we got great copy, and we're going to invest there. Yes, so um, in terms of kind of the, the, the breakdown by, by segment, I mean, we expect personal care to be growing in the, you know, mid to high single digits. Uh, so think of mid-single digits overall in the, the high end. And uh, in the other two segments, we will be growing in the low uh, single digits, and that kind of gets you to the algorithm that we've provided. As I stated at the beginning, uh, our plan is a vol mix, largely led plan. Um, and keep in mind that pricing will be around 200 basis points of that, and that's largely uh, related to currency-related movements in hyperinflationary economies. So that, that's kind of the breakdown on how sh- you should be thinking um, of, of our segment growth next year. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes our Q&A session. I'll now hand the conference back to Chris Jakubik for closing remarks. Please go ahead. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, for um, the analysts that, uh, that have follow-up questions, uh, we'll be around all day. And uh, beyond that, uh, we're looking forward to seeing everybody in March. 
Thank you, everyone. This concludes today's event. You may disconnect at this time and have a wonderful day. Thank you for your participation.